this series has been birthed out of a response to the word of the Lord to us as a church, which is that we're in a year of jubilee. We're in a season of great expectation and great grace. And what we're doing over these next few weeks is really orienting our lives around that truth, that every aspect of our lives should reflect the grace of God happening in us and to us and the grace of God then ministering out of us. It's a season of great expectation for God to do the unthinkable and great grace for us to receive his unbelievable love that he has for us. We've grabbed three words that are kind of our guides throughout this season. Maybe you've seen them on the big banners that we have as you walk in and out of church. And those three words are gather, say gather, restore, and deploy. And, and, and what we're doing is saying, you know what Jubilee really looks like in you and in me? It looks like the people of God gathering together, being restored into the fullness of who he's called us to be and then sent to see the grace of God deployed, to see the grace of God displayed all over the city. And last week we kind of jumped in talking about gathering and Andrew reminded us that we gather for a lot of things, but three of those things are for God's glory, for our strength, and for his story. That when we gather together, we really are believing that those things are going to happen, that you're going to experience the glory of God. It's going to pull you up into a bigger picture of who God is. You leave in awe of the bigness of the God that we serve, almighty God, that we get to call by name, and he calls us by name. We want you to look at him and be like, whoa! We want you to leave here stronger, leave here equipped built up and strengthened by the word of God. We want you to leave from this place absolutely in love with the story of God. Because you can't talk about what you're not convicted about. And when the, when the story of the beauty of God is just so big in you because you got lost in his glory and equipped by his word, you can't help but share his story to those who are around you. And, and today we're going to be leaning into that second word, which is restore. We, we year of Jubilee happening in us and through us is about gathering, restoring, and deploying. And, and we're going to be hanging out with restore for a few weeks because I think we can all agree that restoration is a big deal. That we can talk about restoration, but really getting into like, how do we see restoration happen in our lives, not just hope that we get restored, but really begin to see restoration happen in our lives. We don't just want to graze over the top of this. We, we want to really get into the root system of this because we wholeheartedly believe that the story of God, the story of his glory is a story of restoration. Our God is a restorer. When Jesus started his ministry on the earth, he was given the scroll in the synagogue to do the daily reading. And he starts his ministry on the earth by opening this scroll to a prophetic statement that was written about him by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61. And Jesus stands to read the daily reading and says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to 
bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Again, this was Isaiah prophesying about the coming Messiah, that when the coming Messiah comes, this is what he's going to be like. He, he's going to have the Spirit of God all over him. He's going to be engaging and preaching good news to everyone, to the poor. He's going to see restoration happen, blind eyes open, freedom for captives, release from darkness for prisoners. And he goes on and he says this in verse 2, that this Messiah will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We talked about this already, but that is the year of Jubilee, to proclaim the year of Jubilee, not just once every 50 years, but every minute of every day in every year, because the Messiah has come, the Restorer has come to right every wrong. The day of vengeance of our God, day of victory. That he's coming with victory, to bring victory in our lives, and then watch this, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them beauty instead of ashes. This is restoration. To bestow on them beauty instead of ashes. To in, in, an oil of joy instead of mourning. To restore joy. A garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. To restore hope. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What Jesus brings back, he builds up. You see, we serve a God of the comeback. Are you with me this morning? That he, that he doesn't just restore us, he then strengthens us. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of of his splendor. After Jesus reads this, he, he rolls it back up and the Bible says in Luke 4, he just goes and sits down and everyone's just looking at him like, dude, I think you need to teach us something. And he says this in Luke 4, verse 21, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Translation, the Messiah has come. The God of restoration is here. Our God is a God of the comeback. Jesus started his whole ministry with a radical declaration of restoration. He restores us. He puts us back together again. He, he heals us from where sin is destroying us. He, he brings us back to our true identity in him. Now, speaking of identities, you know, a lot of you guys know me and you know a couple things about me. You know that I'm getting old quickly. My body's deteriorating at an unbelievable rate and it's incredibly discouraging. I did a bunch of push-ups. My biceps hurt so bad today, I don't think I can go golfing tomorrow. This is a problem. Right? Like I'm getting older and and my body is, is looking like it. I'm getting the belly. I got the gray hairs. You know what I'm saying? The whole thing's happening. So you can see that. You can see that about me. You also know that I'm married to an incredible woman named Liz. Sitting right up here. Just absolutely takes my breath away every time I look at her. You also know that I have four children. Three of them are the same age. And you can join our prayer shield. We have a 17-year-old. We have three 14-year-olds. You know that about me. Here's something you might not know about me is that my name is J.D., not J.D. 
My name is spelled J-A-D-Y. J-D, not J-D. So if you come up to me and say, hey, what does J-D stand for? I'll say A-Y. Here's the truth. I don't care. If you come up to me and say, hey, J-D, I don't care. It doesn't bother me even in the slightest. It doesn't bother me at all. It bothers my friends. My friends will correct people. I will never correct people. I don't mind being called J-D instead of J-D. But I do be, mean, I, I do, excuse me, mind being called Judy. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Judy. And I got called Judy the first day of school every year until I graduated. Now, this was a mind blow for me because this is people who have dedicated their life to education. And I would hear, is Judy Griffin here? And I'm thinking, when has an A ever sounded like a U? It is obviously not Judy. You could be in denial that it's JD, but let's not go to Judy. I hated being called Judy Griffin. Now, I grew up in Houston, Ghost Rose. Grew up in Houston, talked about this last week. And, um... I, uh, I grew up in a Christian house. My parents love Jesus. And so uh, something that kind of comes with that most of the time is that you're, you're always listening to Christian radio. Did anybody else grow up listening to Christian radio like at all times? You know, just like it's all my dad would ever put on the radio. Just in Houston, it was KSVJ, all right? And it's like they, it was all the time, man. It was like the only station that we could listen to. It's like even if you switched it, it was like, you maybe need to ask for forgiveness because Griffin's only listened to KSBJ. I mean, it was like a deal. And every, you know, Christian radio stations, like family-friendly deal, no commercials. So every year for like, it felt like a year, <laughs> they would be raising money. They would do like these telethon things, right? You, you guys track with what I'm saying? Now, KSBJ was running like this special. If you gave money, they, they would say your name on the radio. Now, hear me. In the 90s, your name on the radio was the equivalent to going viral, okay? This was, this is as big as it got, having your name said on the radio. And so I'm thinking, I got to do this, man. Like, I, I have got to donate to KSBJ so they can say J.D. Griffin on the radio. And so, you know, I get with my mom, and I had like $2. And so, you know, we called, we do the whole pledge thing. We pledge $2, and the whole family is huddled around the radio, like old school. You know what I'm saying? We're like in the kitchen, all huddled around the radio, and they start going through the list, you know. And James Smith gave $50, and then it comes, right? Judy Griffin. We want to thank Judy Griffin. For his, for his $2 donation. I'm thinking, really? This, really? This is not my name. Put some respect on my name. Now, here's the thing. You know why that bothers me so much? It's because my name represents so much more than just four letters that phonetically produce a sound that I answer to. My name is pregnant with my identity. So when you call me Judy, you're not just misnaming me, you're misidentifying me. Our names mean something. Our names are very important. There's a story in the Bible, maybe some of you have heard of it. It's in Daniel 3, 
and it's about three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you grew up in church and you know this story, right? Okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. To give you some history, some background to refresh you a little bit, these three men, uh, along with their friend Daniel, were actually brought in as the Israelites had been captive. They had been taken over by the Babylonians. They, the Babylonians gathered the smartest and the brightest 14-year-old men to come and to be educated by, be educated in the schools of the Babylonians, to teach them their ways, to introduce them to their God, so that by the time these young, smart, sharp future leaders became adults in Babylon, they would not think of themselves as Hebrews that have been captive, but they would just see themselves as Babylonians themselves. And the king was smart. King Nebuchadnezzar was brilliant, and he knew that there was no way that, they, that these young, sharp Hebrew boys would stop believing in their God identity if they first didn't start calling themselves by Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not their real names. The first thing that the king did, Daniel 1, verse 7, it says the chief official gave them all new names. Because the fastest way that you can get somebody to forget who they are is begin to call them by what they were never created to be. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were given names that reflected the culture they lived in and not their God identity and their purpose. Your name means something. Here's their real names. You want to feel the power of the identity in their real names? Hanani. It means the Lord is gracious. Mishael. It means who is like our God. Azariah, it means the Lord helps. If you know the story and you fast forward to Daniel 3, and I want you to keep in your mind, the Lord is gracious, that's who they were. Who is like our God? Our God is our defender, and the Lord helps us. Their identity is going to hold them in their trouble. But their new names were pregnant with a false identity. Shadrach, you know what Shadrach means? It means in command of a coup. That was the Babylonian god of the moon. Shadrach, you are under the command of the god of the moon. Meshach and Abednego, their names meant servant of Nego, which was the Babylonian god of art. Your name means something. And our enemy is not the Babylonians, but our enemy, the devil, has the same strategy to try to get us to forget who God says that we are and for us to become something that we were never intended to be. Yeah, the names that people call us through our lives rarely changes. 
Sometimes you can get a nickname that catches fire. Sometimes you can legally change your name, but that doesn't really happen the way that it happened in Daniel. The names that other people does not change that often. The, the names that other people call us doesn't change that often. But I'll tell you what, the names we call ourselves does. The names we call ourselves sure do. We call ourselves all kinds of things that are not who we are. And sometimes those names we call ourselves are because of horrible things that have been done to us. Sometimes we get those names because of horrible things that we have done. But they all have the same purpose. Those false names, those, those lies about who we are. They're to get us to forget who we really are and get us to believe that we are something we were never intended to be. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were fighting against these false identities that the enemy was placing on them. That you don't represent the God who helps, you represent the God of art. You don't represent the God who sees you, who knows you, who's there for you. You represent the God of the moon. They were trying to get these young men to forget who they really were so that they would become a counterfeit version of themselves. A counterfeit of who they were called to be. And our enemy's trying to do the same. Our enemy's trying to do the same. He's trying to get us to become a counterfeit of ourselves. He's trying to re-educate us. He's trying to call us by these false names and get us to forget that there's a God in heaven that made us and he made me and he made you. And when he did that, he made you with a plan and a purpose. Your true identity is all over the word of God. David said this in Psalms 139. For you created me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Let me just say it. When God made you, he wasn't confused about you. He made you on purpose for a purpose. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days were ordained for me, and they were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake, I am still with you. You were made on purpose by a loving God with a divine purpose. It was laid out before you, ordained for you, by a God who loves you. And the enemy desperately wants you to forget who you really are. He wants you, like the intent of the Babylonians, 
to live thinking that you're free when you're actually living in bondage. The plan of the enemy, this is how he gives us these false names that are to distract us and to pull us away from our God identity. Let me, let me give you one of the false names that the enemy has given me over the years. Not good enough, Griffin. Not good enough, Griffin. I, I've tried a lot of things in my life. I'm not scared of trying new things, which means I'm acquainted at failing at a lot of things. Things didn't always go the way that I thought they would. Things didn't always work out the way they thought they were going to work out. There seemed to always be someone who was a little faster, a little better looking, a little smarter, a little better at communication, a little better at relationships. Seemed to just move a lot smoother through life and culture than I did. And so I just started picking up on what the enemy was telling me. Hey, you know what, J.D., you know why that's not conducive? You know why things aren't working for you? It's because you're not good enough. You're not good enough. And that name will still pop up today. At 42 years old, alive in God, a lot of inner healing and work with just leaning into my identity in Christ, in disappointment, in challenges, I will hear in the back of my mind that name being said over me. J.D., you are just not good enough, Griffin. And you know, not good enough has a middle name, and that middle name is hopeless, not good enough, hopeless, Griffin. There's nothing or no one that could make me feel in those moments any better. There's nothing that could pull me out of the deep despair of feeling stuck. No one could be there for me in the middle of the night when the stress of being overwhelmed at the gap between what I believed God wanted to do in and through me and where I found myself, if you feel like that's on you, it's suffocating. And that name, that false name, that name my enemy would call me to try to get me to forget who God says that I am. Not good enough, hopeless, Griffin. Oh, here's another one. Worthless. Worthless. You ever feel like you have zero value? That everyone around you has a purpose, but your purpose just seems to be to be passed over by those people who have purpose. So you can leave those moments feeling worthless. And, and this is the name. It's this worthless name that will drive us to want to feel valuable so bad that we will stop at nothing to feel like we're seen. You'll engage in hookup culture. You'll get lost in the quick fix of the adrenaline rush and the endorphin hit of a screen. You'll maybe stay engaged in a relationship that you know is toxic, but at the same time, you feel valuable because you're in a relationship and you will end up doing things that you never 
never intended to be. Never thought that you would be where you are. But then you find yourself there because that name, worthless, has gotten so loud that it's not just something you deal with. It has now become who you are. And worthless has a middle name too, and, and it's dirty. Because like the enemy is a master at, when we find ourselves on the back end of chasing value and doing it in the most inappropriate, dirty, disgusting ways, and we think that that's what's going to solve the dilemma of my soul, as soon as it's over, as soon as you wake up in the next morning, that middle name shows up dirty. I can't believe you did that. Look how far you've come. You've had too much sex. You've, you've done too many drugs. You've burned too many bridges. You're just too dirty for anything good to happen to you. The enemy will use our brokenness to try to remake us. But I have good news. The names the enemy tries to pin on you does not have to define you. Come on, that's good news. There should be a few amens on the back end of that. Let me say it again. Let me give you another try. The names the enemy tries to pin on you does not have to define you. Hello? The names the enemy tries to pin on you does not have to define you. No one called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by their real names for years. But those false names their enemy tried to pin on them did not define them, and yours don't have to either. The enemy can call you things all day and all night, but if you know who you really are, it will not define you. It will not shape you. It will not affect you. We see this kind of come to fruition when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are commanded along with all of the other servants of Babylon to bow down and worship this golden statue that the king had had constructed. Remember, their false names gave them the identity of idol worshipers. And now the gods of culture are demanding that they worship them. But because the labels the enemy tried to pin on them didn't define them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were unmoved by the command to worship another god. You see, sometimes we get asked the question, how are we going to win the culture war today? We're going to win it by knowing our identity in Jesus. Not through weapons, not through catchy media posts and hashtags and that's not how we're going to win the wars we're not going to win the culture war arguing with people on facebook we're going to win the culture war by knowing our identity in jesus because when you know your identity in jesus it's disruptive to a culture that has a false identity shadrach meshach and abednego said hey we're not doing that we're not bowing down to worship this we we worship the one true there was no one like our God. 
Who is like our God? Our God will help us. That, that was who they were, and who they were came out when they were tested to worship the gods of culture. This is why sometimes I think we struggle in church today to look different than culture because we don't know who we are, so we just bow down to the gods of culture and we don't even know that we're doing it and we're enslaved thinking that we're free. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to bow down to the God of your culture because we serve and only will bow down to the one true God. And they said, you know what? Hey, we're going to give you another shot, dude. We're, we need you to bow down. Just go ahead and do that. And they're like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Now the command turned to a threat. See the parallels of the enemies of the Israelites and the enemy that we call the devil, right? If you don't do what he says, he begins to make you feel like you're threatened. Your life is threatened. And they said, hey, if you don't bow down and worship this, you see that fiery furnace over there? It's so hot that people that are just trying to keep it burning are dying. You can say that the pressure, the fire, the heat of culture was literally upon them. It was literally tangible to them. This wasn't an internal pressure. This was real heat and real pressure. Their life was on the line, but who they were came out. Their true identity came out. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. So I'm just telling you, like this is the most gangster scripture in all of the Bible. Like seriously, when I read this, I'm just like, yo, these dudes were straight up G's, man. Like for real. They're looking at the king. They're teenagers looking at the king. We don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But listen to verse 18. This is, wow, this is where the G really turns up. But even if he does not, ooh, think about this resolve. Think about this ability to stand up in the face of culture and say, I don't need to defend myself in this matter. I don't need to be scared at what you're threatening me with. I don't need to be scared of you canceling me. I don't need to be scared of what you're going to say about me because my God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want you to know we will never serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. When your life is on the line, what you believe about yourself will determine how you respond. For the first time in a long time in America, we feel the pressure of being a believer. And the pressure of culture is to bow down at these idols of false identity 
and to bow down and just say it's okay. God has put an identity in you so that there can be strength in you to be able to stand up against what the devil is trying to get you to worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's clarity on who God had called them to be gave them strength to resist worshiping the gods of culture. And that power is available to us. Man, you change it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man. Change it to J.D., Liz, and Chris. For real. Insert your names, man. This ability to stand up against the pressure of culture is available to us. And hear me, if you're here today and you've never met Jesus, he is the great name changer. He is the restorer. And no matter what we have done, no matter what we've been a part of, in him, all things can be made new. He is the God who makes beauty come from ashes, the one who gives joy instead of mourning, the one who gives us the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And today you can hear him call you by your real name. Here's one, 1 John 3, one of those names, how great is the love of the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's who you are who you've been called to be. God has a God identity for you. He has divine names for you. And look, I'm not fully aware of all of the names that God has for you, but here's another one. I have another one for you. Chosen. Chosen. Ephesians 1, Paul reminds us of who we really are. Let's start in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us. Say, he chose me. In him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You are a child of God and you have chosen by God. Stand to your feet. I want you to hear me say this. You're chosen. You are not worthless. You're chosen. You're not used up. You're chosen. You're not hopeless. You're chosen. We have to let go of the false names that we've picked up and we have to start going by our real names, loved, forgiven, set apart, chosen, adopted. Right now, if you're a leader here in Antioch, if you're a life group leader, if you're an elder, if you're on staff, I want you to just begin to make your way up to the front. We pray for people in Antioch because prayer changes things. And if you have been walking around I have been calling myself and letting the enemy shout at me with some false names. And I need to hear God call me by my real name, loved, forgiven, chosen. And if you're here and you've never heard Jesus call you by name, if you've never given your life to Jesus for the first time, then you can experience the great name-changing grace of the living God 
today. And we're here to pray for you. And all you have to do is just come up here in a minute when we start worshiping and just tell one of these amazing leaders, hey, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And they are here to support you, to love you, to pray for you and encourage you. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you change our names. Lord, that you don't see us as dirty, used up, worthless, hopeless. You see us as loved, chosen, forgiven, set apart. Lord, I'm asking right now that we would be a people that experience restoration through the power of our true identity. In Jesus' name.